Hey folks, welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas, flying solo on the intro today. Um, we have got a hell of a show today, in my opinion. One of the uh, best ones I feel like I've done lately as far as learning stuff. Uh, I really like learning things when I'm, I guess you'd call it interviewing people. And on this week's show, I talk with Shane Motzenbacher. Hopefully I got that right with the National Deer Association about how drought affects deer health and antler growth specifically. Um, In our area of Missouri, we, I don't know if we're actually in a drought, but it's been dry the last two summers. Uh, All you got to do is look at pretty much any pond in this entire area. They're all low, haven't been getting rain. I think we're like 10 plus inches low outside of the last few weeks. We've actually been getting rain, which is good. So I don't know if we're actually in a drought, but that's what I'm going to call it. So, and I think much of the state has kind of seen some of that and a lot of the uh, Midwest and and certain areas. I know like the West has been getting a lot of rain. I think they're taking it all from us. So that's what we're kind of talking about today. It's a very interesting topic. Uh, One that one of, you know, if you're a hunter that is going after a deer that has uh, horns coming out of it, out of its head could interest you. And if you're a hunter just going for meat, it could interest you as well as far as, uh, you know, how big the deer get compared to when it's uh, normal and nice and wet. So anyway, that's what we're doing today. Uh, let me get through the sponsors right quick and we'll hop into the show because it's a really interesting show that uh, I don't want you to wait for. So we got Weber Outfitters. We were just out at their first annual try and buy event. You heard us live last week with them. Lots of fun, hoping to go out there again next year. I think they're going to announce dates pretty soon. So be, uh, you know, follow their social media and um, check them out for those date announcements. Uh, WeberOutfitters.com, Athlon Optics. Super excited to uh, get into some of their new thermals when they come out. Uh, They just announced that, I guess you'd say, not too long ago. And I'm going to be getting another scope, I think, soon. So... We'll see. I don't know what I'm doing, but I got a lot of ideas on on my mind about Athlon. So, going to be excited to do some stuff with them coming up. We actually, I don't want to ruin it, but we just did a uh, a photo thing with them, and it was it was lots of fun. Uh, Got to meet you know Jimmy and I forget the other guy's name. Sorry, but lots it was lots of fun. Uh, Me, Mike, and Andy will probably talk about it at some point, but it was weird as hell because. it was just weird. I mean, you know, it's you, you kind of feel like you're a model or some shit, and it's, I don't know. It was odd, but uh, lots of fun. I'm glad we uh, we got to do that with them. So check them out. Find a dealer near you. If you don't know one, I'm, I'm sure all the dealers they use are good people, but Weber is a dealer of theirs. Obviously, you can get a hold of Weber. We know another guy in uh, the Casey area that's really good. Uh, Jesse Bunger is a terrific guy too. So if you don't know any good dealers, get a hold of us. We can point you uh, somewhere too. We don't have any ties with uh, with Jesse. Obviously, we work with Weber, but hey, check them out. Athlonoptics.com. Onyx, use our code MWW20 for 20%. Check out some of their new features. They keep just they keep coming out with new features. Um, really have been on my computer a lot lately getting ready for Wyoming using my Onyx using some of those features that uh, we have talked to our uh, contact at Onyx about, and uh, you'll be hearing, ho- hopefully here in the next few weeks. Camo Fire, get on that app. That's the only way I use Camo Fire anymore. I don't get on the website. 
only the app. So if I were you, I would just go download the app and move on with your life and uh, enjoy the daily deals that you get. Black Ovis, use our code MWW10 for 10% off. When's this going to come out? Uh, Mid-August or late August, something like that. So it's getting close to hunting season. There's a lot of gear that you could be getting. I just realized I need to get some more lighted knocks, so I'll probably hop on there and order some. And uh, they they kind of got everything, man. They're an online retailer. Um, I'm going to be getting some saddle stuff, I think, soon from there, too. So just a little bit of everything, man. If you can think of it, they probably have it. Check them out, blackovis.com. Huntworth gear, mm, this will come out. Make sure I'm right with you, folks. On the 22nd. So you will have, as of the day this comes out, you will have five days left, I believe. The sale ends on the 27th for their Black Friday and fall or something like that sale, which is 30% off. So screw our code. Go save yourself 15 more percent and save 30% uh, on any of your stuff. They've got a new um, system builder. I'm having a hard time thinking today. So, yeah, it's a system builder. It's pretty cool. You can kind of, you know... uh, click on what kind of game you're hunting or going after and then you can kind of build the system from there so it's pretty cool they've got two awesome patterns tarnin and disruption i own both i've always been a fan of digital camel camo so i've got a lot more disruption stuff than i do tarnin but i'm starting to kind of like that tarnin too so check them out huntworthgear.com alps outdoors it is their 30th anniversary i don't know if y'all knew that so use the code 2023 Woods Water for 30% off with them. They're a terrific company, Missouri-based. Um, I'll be using my Elite Pack out in Wyoming. They've got a really cool new uh, set of bino harnesses as well that are super quiet. If you guys listen to the show, you know I'm not a huge bino harness guy. Micah and Andy both love them. And, uh, but if I was going to be wearing one, that one kind of takes the cake. The way it opens up is the biggest thing for me. I like it. So I'm going to try to use more of it, and that's going to be the one I'm using. But, yeah, check them out, alpsoutdoors.com. Use that code and save yourself, like I said, 30%. That's a pretty big savings. Uh, Zamberland Boots, zamberlandusa.com. Use any of the uh, – check out any of the boots. We specifically only run a few pair of theirs. I've got the Lynx and the Leopards that I really like. Andy really likes the Crestas. Micah really likes his Baltoros. He's also got the Lynx. And I don't remember what else Andy has, but I know that he loves his Crestas. So, you know, I mean, you know, we've only got basically four of theirs that I can think off the top of my head um, that are they're really freaking awesome. And, uh, you know, they're high-quality boots. So check them out. Reveal cameras by Tacticam. Easy enough to set up. Obviously, we've talked about it. We just had Ben on our show. You guys can, uh, you know, see for yourself when you get them. We, we uh, actually at the Weber Outfitters try and buy event kind of taught a few people how to use the the cameras. And it's so damn easy. It's it's kind of easy to explain it to you. Download the app, set the camera up. It's, it's it's done like that. So really really cool and some really awesome features on the uh, app. So if you I didn't realize this. I thought only if you tagged a buck you could do weather, but. If you have a folder that you set up for a specific buck, let's say, let's say you name a buck Bob, and you put all the pictures of Bob in that folder, you can filter the weather data just for that folder. And it'll give you all the weather information just for that buck. That's cool. I found that out just a few days ago when I was doing it the other way. 
and it's pretty damn sweet, man. So check it out. And then last but not least, our buddy Dustin with Habitat Works. Mention us when you call. Get 15% off any service, 816-752-7390. Dustin is proficient in almost every aspect of that, you know, land management, timber stand improvement, forestry mulching, mapping, and planning, and obviously prescribed fire, as you heard a few weeks ago on our show. That is the sponsors for today. We appreciate everything they do for us. We wouldn't be doing this show if we didn't have them. And also, you listeners, we wouldn't be doing this show without you guys. We love uh, interacting with you all. Send us messages. Send us a reply to us on social media. And, um, you know, give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. And then check out our website. We do have a website, MissouriWoodsAndWater.com. We're trying to add to our gear pages to give you guys more information about what we use, what we like, what we don't like, along with video. It's not going very quickly because, you know, we all work full-time, got families, and it's hard to get stuff done sometimes, but we're, we're working on it, man. Anyways, uh, that is the intro for today. We appreciate everybody listening. Let's get into the show with Shane with National Deer Association about the drought. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, with me today, Nate's, Nate, me, is all by himself today. So we've got Shane Motzenbacher, I said that correctly, with National Deer Association. Shane, what's up, man? Oh, not much, man. Just glad to be here. Uh, Shane is a, a fellow resident of the Missouri outdoors, born and raised in Missouri, it sounds like. Um, so before we get into today's topic, which is going to be how drought affects um antler growth pretty topical at least for us in this area um across missouri really for the last few summers um shane why don't you introduce yourself tell us kind of a little bit bit about yourself where you're from what you do for nda and then on the tail end of it i want you to give me what your favorite thing about the missouri outdoors is yeah i am shane motzenbacher with the uh national deer association uh my actual title is Deer Outreach Specialist, uh, so that's a, a fancy way to tell you, uh, uh, tell people about deer and get them interested in deer, and uh, it kind of, that position has changed and morphed a little bit in the last few years uh, with uh, what we've been doing here at NDA, and uh, grown into something where we're not only taking care of uh, landowner cooperatives, uh, where neighboring landowners work together uh, to establish wildlife management goals and get on the same page. Uh, that was kind of how the job started was uh, working with co-ops and uh, getting them formed and, and going and operational. Uh, but beyond that, we've added uh, the deer management assistance program. Uh, we're helping out uh, Missouri Department of Conservation there uh, with the DMAT program. Uh, that's been really cool of getting some landowners in there so where they can accomplish some uh, good deer management goals of uh, thinning some herds and getting their buck to doe ratio right and things like that. Uh, um, and then we also do a little bit of CWD sampling and testing, uh, helping out, you know, MDC as well. Uh, so that's been fun. And then uh, another thing they've added to our job description that I think has probably been 
uh, one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my career uh, is the R3 initiative or recruit, retain, reactivate hunters. And uh, we've been uh, doing several events here in the state of Missouri uh, called Build the Fork events where we actually take uh, brand new adult hunters and get them out there and, and teach them all about deer, pretty much deer hunting 101, white tail biology, uh, all about the animals that they're pursuing. Uh, and then we take them out, get them uh, the safety basics with uh, whatever their weapon of choice, whether it be uh, crossbows or uh, firearms. And we take them out uh, to the range, get them proficient with that weapon, and then we take them on their first deer hunt. And hopefully, uh, if it all goes right, uh, and sometimes it still goes right, but uh, they get to harvest their first animal and or their first deer. And then we take them from there and we teach them all about how to field dress it, uh, how to quarter their, their meat, uh, the different cuts of meat, uh, how to package it, all that good stuff. And along the way, uh, we get to sample venison, different recipes as we go along. So it's been a really great program and uh, really excited to get to do that. Um, we actually were just featured in the, the most recent issue of the Missouri Conservationist Magazine where we uh, took some uh, senior deer hunters out. I read that and, last uh, night. Some of those were brand new. Some of those were brand new deer hunters and uh, and uh, in their 90s. And uh, mm-hmm. so such a fulfilling time uh, to get people out there in the outdoors. Uh, that That's kind of, that's the basis of my job and really great. Uh, but like I said, yeah, I was born uh, in Branson. Uh, still uh, live, live in the area. Uh, the Ozarks is what I call home. And right here down on the Arkansas-Missouri line for, for my entire life. Uh, did a brief stint. Uh, down in uh, Texas, just north of Houston, Texas, uh, for a couple of years uh, as an outdoor education programmer. Uh, loved the job, but uh, Texas was not my thing. <laughs> so uh, got back home to the Ozarks and uh, and loving it. Uh, working for NDA has been fantastic. But previously in my career uh, in Missouri, I worked for Missouri State Parks for a decade uh, as a park naturalist and assistant superintendent of a state park. Uh, and I mean, that kind of goes right into your, your question of what is my favorite thing about Missouri outdoors. And I think it's just, there's so much here. Uh, there's so much to offer. Uh, there's so many great places, uh, picturesque places in the state to visit. Uh, of course, working with state parks, I got to visit a lot of the really cool state parks across the state and, and see what the state actually has to offer. Uh, but and just the, the whole diversity of landscapes is great. Uh, but we had the opportunity. I live on Table Rock Lake, and I can I can be in the water in three or four minutes and go, go out there. And it's, there's never a bad day uh, in the Missouri outdoors because it's just there's always something to do. Whether you can hunt or fish, or go hiking, go visit the park. There's just so much out there that you can do and enjoy. And uh, not everywhere is that way. And uh, being in the uh, urban environment in Houston, Texas, I got a real good dose of uh, what it's like to not have the resources that we have here in Missouri. Uh, it just made me want to come home that much more. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's a very typical answer, you know, because, I mean, I almost don't want people to know about it, but uh, I, I've said this a million times on our show. Missouri is like four different states all in one. You know, Kansas – 
let's say Kansas is cool, and like a lot of people say Kansas is boring. I actually think Kansas is pretty cool because you got the Flint Hills, Southeast Kansas. Obviously, Western Kansas sucks sometimes, you know, driving through it, but I still think it's it's got its own beauty. Uh, but, you know, in general, Kansas is Kansas, right? In general, Texas is Texas. I mean, you know, there's different, but like Missouri's got mountains. They've got flat-ass places. They've got huge river bluffs. They've got farm ground. I mean, you know, sometimes you feel like you're in Kansas. Sometimes you feel like you're in Tennessee. Sometimes you feel like you're in Iowa. Um Sometimes you feel like you're, you know, in big cities with, you know, KC and St. Louis. I mean, it's just kind of got everything a little bit for you. So, no, I agree with you. Um, and that kind of – oh, by the way, I was going to say on that article uh, in the Missouri Conservationist, I read that last night. Um, yeah. I, won't, I won't say where I was when I read it because it's it's where I read my Missouri Conservationist. But let's just say it's on yep. top It's on top of the back of our toilet, and that's where I read my, my magazines. That's right. <laughs> and uh good place I, to focus it's it's a good place to put the you know leave the phone out in the living room and go take care of business and do some nice reading and i read that whole article and it was uh that was really cool to see that lady 92 was she i can't remember she's 90 she's 93 93 and uh and now she's about to be 94 and she's already looking forward to this year and uh now she has that on her bucket list uh she wants to kill a deer and uh that's Something that we tried to figure out. Okay, we went with crossbows last year, and uh, she had a deer that was just right there out of range, and it just couldn't get a shot. Uh, but she was so excited uh, about getting to see that deer and the whole opportunity. And uh, the funny thing is, she said, the, the, right after that happened, she goes, "Oh, I can't wait to call my sister." <laughs> well, then we find out she has a twin sister that lives over in the Carolinas. Uh, but still alive. They're both 93, and uh, she just couldn't wait to tell her sister all about her deer hunt. And uh, I just thought this is this is great. I just I really wanted to I wanted to get her a deer for her, but it just didn't happen last year. But uh, we've changed it around, and uh, this year we're going to be taking out rifles. Uh, we changed the dates that we're going, and uh, that's up here in, in Ozark, Missouri, and uh, we're going to be there. Uh, with Miss Bessie again, and I'm going to hopefully try to get her a, a deer harvested this year for her 94th. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter how old, but that's been one of the coolest things that I've experienced in my life is taking people out hunting for their first time. I've got two sons who I've taken out for their first hunts. Um, you know, one of the blessings that we've had on our podcast, you know, outside of just being able to talk to people like you know Shane and Matt Ross and uh oh my cousin Lindsey Thomas who's not my cousin but we make fun of you know say that because we got the same last name and like people with you know your association people just all across the the world honestly just people you would consider quote unquote average folks who aren't in this world you still get to like see here the most cool stories and the other thing that I've loved about doing our podcast is we've got to also take other people on their first respective hunts. Um, you know, one of my most favorite moments was uh, doing an event with Missouri Disabled Sportsmen last year. We They did their first annual coyote hunt, and we got to take three, um, you know, mobility-impaired sportsmen out on their first time ever coyote hunting. That was cool. Wasn't successful, same same as, you know, Miss Bessie, but 
you know, it's just, it's about that. Uh, Andy got to take a, a young lady and uh, her mom and dad on their first ever thermal coyote hunts. Um, and uh, she actually was successful, the young girl. And um, it's just cool to hear about those stories and, you know. Uh, you know, you, you say successful and uh, honestly, we didn't harvest a deer, but it was still successful. It yeah. was very successful. Yeah. Uh, we, we did several of those uh, senior hunts last year, and uh, the two that I were a part was a part of and, and got to be a mentor, uh, nobody harvested a deer, but they were still probably some of the most successful hunts that I've ever been on. Yeah, uh, Definitely the most rewarding, and I mean, I, I can't wait to do it again this year uh, and get some folks out there. <laughs> uh, it, the very first one I went on was just – something else the, the gentleman hadn't hunted in years and never thought that he would ever be able to hunt again and to give him that opportunity it just literally changed his whole outlook on life yeah uh, because he was pretty down in the dumps before and uh you know, something like a deer hunt brings everybody together and gets them out there to enjoy the, you know the great outdoors and uh just to be able to be out there in the blind and have that opportunity again whether you you harvest something or not, mm-hmm. man, it was just, uh, like I said, it's probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my career. Success is in the eye of the beholder because, you know, I, and I meant the same thing by that, right? Success only in the term of not harvesting a deer, but how many times have you went out deer hunting? Maybe you've been stressed at work. Life's been stressful. Kids have been sick at home, you know, whatever. How many times have you went out hunting? and really could just give a crap if you kill a deer that day most of them (laughs) just want to go sit in the tree stand detach from the world um you know detach from these things that you know are always on our hips and cell phones and things like that and just smell the woods hear the sounds think about life i can't tell you how many times that i have been totally unaware that there's a deer around me because I'm just in the moment and all of a sudden I oh wait I just heard something and you look over and there's a doe 20 yards to your left or whatever and you know I guess that's uh that's one way to keep still is when you're just calm but yeah so success doesn't mean kill right I mean I've got a goal every year that I want to do certain things but if I can get out and hunt just one time that was successful um, yep. And then harvesting an animal is just the cherry on top. I mean, if it happens, it happens. It's great. Um, yeah, we like to provide, you know, meat for the freezer, but, uh, you know, so it's kind of like fishing too. You know, it's, it's called fishing, not catching. And some of the best fishing trips, we never caught a thing. Uh, but, you know, getting to get out there and enjoy the great outdoors and just soak it all in, you know, I, you know, some people it's, it's almost spiritual uh, being out being out there in the outdoors and and you feel feel closer to to the Lord and things like that and uh, gives you a chance to pray and be quiet things like that. I mean it, it, that definitely hits home and and you hear nature just screaming about the Creator. Right? That's yeah. that's for some people and other people uh, it's not that way. Uh, and I feel that way just about, you know, anytime I'm, I get to get out there and have that opportunity. And then on top of that, getting to share it with somebody is just another level. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this last year is 
pretty pretty big year for me is I, I not so much for me personally I, I didn't kill the biggest deer I've ever killed or anything like that but uh, these events you know, with the seniors I also got to take my wife uh, hunting and, and she harvested her first deer and I got to be right there in line with her yeah uh, and help her go and harvest her first deer and uh, that's just something that I, it, you'll never take that from me and, and it's just something I'll, I'll cherish forever well every hunter has different goals right i mean i think as you grow in your hunting career let's say let's call it <clears throat> your your goals change i still want to kill a big deer next year for sure but my last two years i've taken consecutive sons on their first hunts so two years ago my son caden got to go hunting as a hunter instead of just with me and then last year my other son chase got to be a hunter um last year the only thing i really gave two you know what's about those years was was making it making it a good experience for them now i wanted them to be i wanted them to harvest animal sure and they both did and so like everything i wanted to happen for my hunting season those years was was taken care of when they both were successful in in harvesting yeah. an animal. Now, I was still hunting, but and the year Caden killed uh, his deer, I did harvest a, a nice buck. Actually, that guy right there. Mm-hmm. But last year, I didn't kill anything, not a single deer. And uh, there was, I mean, I made a lot of decisions not to certain times of the year. But I was as soon as Chase was done, as soon as Chase harvested his buck it was like i mean i'm playing with house money at this point my 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 son had a successful day both my sons made better shots than i've ever made on a deer when they killed their first deers and deer and you know it was, it was great and you know I, I i butcher bible verses a lot but what is the one that says be still and know right yeah, I mean yeah be still and know that i'm god that's yeah i'm not sure where that's found either yeah. but uh, but well, yeah, it's definitely. It's nice that. when you're in the woods being still, you know. So, for sure. um, so uh, speaking of harvesting deer, um, the topic we're going to kind of get into today actually came up. I think I'm going to give Micah the credit. I'm pretty sure it was his idea. Andy, if it was your idea, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure it was on Micah's list of ideas. But in our area, which we're in West Central Missouri, um, so a few hours north of you. We've had two years in a row, two summers in a row that have been pretty dang dry. Uh, I know, like, yeah. as of two or three nights ago, we were like ten and a half inches behind the the annual average for rainfall in our area this year, and last year was no different. <clears throat> so, Micah brought up the idea of, well, how does a drought, even though we might not technically be in one anymore, um, how does a drought affect antler growth? So that's what we're kind of going to get into today. Um, I guess we can just kind of kick it off wherever you want to, but what are what are some of the things that you see when it when it relates to dry weather and antlers? I mean, you talk about drought, and you know, a drought can be at any time, uh, but the biggest factor here is if it's a drought during the antler growing season, which is you know after they drop their antlers, they shed their antlers in in late winter, uh, all the way up till pretty much, you know, coming up here pretty quick at the end of August um, before they turn to hard antler. I mean, they've got 200, approximately 200 days of antler growing. If it's during that time and there's a drought there, you know, bottom line is 
drought's going to affect plant growth. And when you affect plant growth, you're going to affect the nutrition. And we always talk about antlers being a product of age, nutrition, and genetics. Um, genetics, you either have them or you don't. You really can't control that a whole lot out in the wild setting. Uh, but we can control age and nutrition. Uh, so you let that deer get to its full antler potential of, you know, six and a half years old. Uh, okay, that's one thing, but we can control the nutrition. But if you're sitting here in, in a drought during that antler growing season, uh, that could have that could have an effect. Uh, he may not grow as big of a, a, a set of antlers just because he's not going to have the nutrition that he would have uh, because plants aren't growing. So, I mean, boils down to <coughs> without the food, uh, it's gonna gonna cause a dent, gonna cause a problem. Uh, so, so that's if, if you, you know, so, kind of going off. Uh, you know, Matt Ross is. Uh, I work with him. He's my supervisor with the National Deer Association, and uh, you know, he he's really been. I mean, that guy's a, a deer genius when it comes to the things about like this and one of the things that he talks about is, is Forbes and uh, he wrote an article all about what deer eat uh, great read if you haven't read it but Forbes create you know that's about 70% of, of a deer's diet and uh, you know Forbes being non-grasses or sedges or rushes it's a, it's a herbaceous plant uh, not non it's a non-woody plant so we think of a lot of the stuff that and you hear, hear the term old field growth or early successional growth, as long as it's that non-woody stuff, most of that is Forbes. And uh, they're very highly nutritious, uh, high you know, high in protein and, and different minerals that deer have to have for antler growth. And uh, that makes up about 70% of our diet. And if you hit, the, hit those Forbes uh, with a drought to where they can't grow during that antler growing season, absolutely going to have an effect on antler growth because that's the majority of their diet. So not only are you missing the, the the quantity of food that they're getting because it's going to set them back. They can't grow. Uh, If you think that's an issue, go go look at your food plots right now that you tried to plant because they're probably not much to them if you're in a drought. Uh, So if you're relying on food plots, you're probably going to have a rough year uh, just based on if your sole thing is providing food, uh, from your food plots, you're going to have a rough year anyway, uh, because that drought knocked all the plant growth. But it's also going to knock back the the quality of the food that they're eating, uh, because those forbs are just trying to grow, and they're not going to be as nice, new, succulent growth, and, and seem to be more nutritious when that's that new growth. Uh, that's what deer pick up on. They're selective when they feed. Uh, they go in there and they pick the most nutritious new shoots and and go in there and, and selectively eat the stuff that's the best for them and has the highest nutritional value. But when the Forbes are just focusing on trying to survive, uh, let, let alone trying to prosper and flourish uh, because they don't have the moisture they need to grow, then the deer are going to get the least or less nutrition out of those Forbes. So that, that's the biggest biggest key as far as antler growth. I can see. So that was kind of, and you basically already answered it, but that was kind of one of my arguments uh, almost against it affecting them is, you know, we're in a drought. Let's, I don't know that we actually are. So no, don't nobody, you know, yell at me. In my opinion, I'm looking at my pond. My pond's five freaking foot low for the last two years. It's dry here. That's what I'm saying. Okay. 
but I still see plants all over the place, right? Like it's still summertime. It's still green out here. So my argument was, well, there's no, I mean, how's that? They're still eating. But one of my questions is, and so you said they're selective. So Mm -hmm. the plants that they might want to eat might not be as healthy, right? They're just trying to survive, let alone be beautiful and, and vivacious and all that. So it's like, you know, eating a, a small apple instead of two large ones. You're not going to get as much out of, out of the apple. But the other thing that, you know, kind of one of my arguments was, but yeah, but look at these weeds. Like these weeds aren't, you know, woody growth. They're huge. You know, does, will a deer, and I, I, I think I might already know the answer to this, but if the food source that a deer is hoping to browse on a certain day isn't doing great and there's stuff that they don't typically mess with, will they change their eating habits based on what their body is hoping to get nutritionally? I mean, the the best answer is always, it depends. Sure. Um, everybody Life hates that answer, but it, <laughs> it depends. It depends. Uh, usually deer are focusing more on the, the new growth and that new growth is because the, the plant is pushing those minerals and, and, and growing and, and flourishing. Uh, but, you know, like you said, a lot of these so-called weeds are really just going crazy and taking over and they're huge. Usually deer focus on the new growth or the, you know, the shorter stuff and, that's where it's the most nutritious because it's pushing all the, that stuff out there toward the leaves. Um, it's just deer browsers, you know, they're, they're eating those leaves and things like that. But when they don't have the moisture content, they're not getting that new growth. So the deer are forced to eat the older, less nutritious stuff like, you know, the stems and, and the, the bigger leaves. And uh, a lot of times that's just, it's not that, that great, not as nutritious as that new growth. Um, Case in point, deer love oakweed, and uh, I, I've seen it on, on our place. At oakweed, when it first comes up, I mean, just the short little plants, I, I mean, deer hammer that stuff. Uh, so high in protein, I mean, it, it, it's, it rivals really any kind of food plot, you know, plant you could think of. It rivals in, in protein percentage, usually higher. But pokeweed, often overlooked, but it's a, it's a native plant and a lot of people call it a weed. It even has weed in the name, mm-hmm. even though a weed is technically just a, a plant that's not wanted wherever you're wanting it. So I really wouldn't call it a weed because that's where it's supposed to be. Some of that. <laughs> yeah. You want some of that. The deer absolutely want it because it's, it's for them, it's delicious and, and highly nutritious exactly the time when they need it. Uh, it's usually one of the first things to come up and, uh, Man, they they hit that stuff when it's really really small and they hit it hard. But if they if it gets past that point where it doesn't get browsed early, it can get really big. And I mean, it could be six seven feet tall and have huge leaves, and a deer won't touch it. Uh, so when you get in a drought situation and stuff like that, uh, the plant can be big and just older leaves are just not going to be as nutritious as the new growth. Uh, so when it's dry out there, you don't get a whole lot of new growth. Plants just trying to maintain and survive. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's that's one of the bigger factors there on on that kind of stuff. Well, when I ask that question, <clears throat> I don't. Okay, let me preface this with I don't actually know if it's true or not. 
because I haven't really paid that much attention in years past. But this year, since it's dry out, I've really been t- paying attention when I'm going into work on my uh, my areas or dump my mineral, which I'm in a county that doesn't have CWD, so I can still supplemental feed and, and do mineral. Um, when I'm going in, I'm paying attention to the crops. You know, we have obviously we're in a we're in a crop heavy area up here. We're in a you know we got black dirt up here. Stuff grows. Well, to me, just to me, it looks like our crops are getting hammered a lot harder than normally like it looks like you know elk are out here you know what i'm saying and they're not so that that was where where that kind of that question originated for me is i wonder if it's because you know the deer would rather be eating you know pokeweed or other browse but it's just not doing very good so then they're defaulting right. and we we know they love beans in the summer we know that right. and and corn but is it are they are they in it more because the pokeweed's not doing so good or or other stuff they like to browse on during the summertime early spring um so that's that's where that question kind of originated is yeah will they i guess change their uh their habits um you know and like really it was more of will they eat something that they will never have touched before now obviously if a deer is going to die they'll eat whatever they need to to not die i get that i mean if you and i were dying and there was a a a raccoon on the side of the road and we'd never i'd eat it because i need to not die that's a different story but if if they're just not getting what they need would they totally switch up what they're doing um if there was no other options like all right i'm a deer today i want to eat a pokeweed it's not available not cool I'm going to move to some soybeans. Oh, they're not available. I'm in southwest Missouri. Nobody has beans down there. Whatever, right? Okay, well, what's next? Um, This. It's not available. Well, now I'm going to start eating this thing I've never eaten before. You know, will a deer continue to, I don't know, like you said, they're selective. Do they yep. Do they go about it that way? Uh, obviously, it'd be nice if we could talk to them in English and ask them. But, right. you know, what have you kind of noticed? That That's one of the... The conundrums right there is how in the world do they know which ones are the most nutritious? Uh, how yeah. do they know I'm going to eat that leaf instead of that leaf that's right next to it? Um, how do they know I'm going to eat that plant and not eat that plant? Um, that's a, that's I don't know. That's a million dollar question. If we knew that, man, we would we would all be way better hunters for sure, uh, way better deer managers, uh, way better habitat managers because we would know what we needed to provide. Uh, but I, I, they do, they're so selective and they do move around, uh, and somehow, and that's the great thing about deer that makes them an, such an amazing animal is they have that ability to pick and choose what's the best for them. And, uh, they're going to be eating things and, uh, that you might not normally see them eat because that's what's available. Uh, and that, that kind of goes back to, you know, the quantity is not there. But uh, they're more reliant on availability. If it's not there, then they can't eat it. Uh, they got to move on and find something else. Yeah. Uh, that the other thing that I've heard is, you know, going back to the the quantity part of it and the selectivity of of what they're they're getting to eat. You know, hungry deer are going to move more because they have to. Uh, so the drought might actually be 
in our favor as hunters because deer might move more because they're they're hungry because they're trying to find what's what's out there mm-hmm. uh, because what they normally eat like you said may not be there maybe they're going after pokeweed but it's not there uh, because of the drought or whatever uh, whatever factor it may be if that plant's not there it's, it's not available they got to move on to something else but that gets them moving and as hunters we, we like it we like it when deer move because that gives us a better chance to try to intercept uh, so that, that's another thing to think about too is it it could actually be helpful as far as the hunting side of things because the hungry deer is going to move uh, whereas if they had everything they needed all in one spot and it was a great year banner year for you know for the moisture content and everything was growing and flourishing maybe that deer doesn't have to move uh, maybe it just stays right there doesn't have to go anywhere and I, i've seen that in years where uh, there's a, a big bumper mass crop like if there's a big acorn crop big white oak acorn crop i wa- i literally watched a deer get up out of his bed he went about 10 feet walked around ate until he was full went right back down and bedded right back down about three feet from where he was before and he was there half the day and I'm sitting there, and he's just out of bow range. There was nothing I could do but watch. <laughs> and he did that a couple of times until finally he was just like, all right, I think I'm going to go do whatever I want to now. And he just walked out. But if everything's there where they need it, where they're bedding, if the food's that close, they have no reason to move. But in a drought situation where plants aren't flourishing, that availability's not there, they're going to have to move because they got to find something to eat. Yeah, you know, a deer a deer consumes roughly two thousand pounds of food per year. Uh, so if you think about each deer out there eating a ton, literally a ton of food, they they're going to be moving around. They're going to be they eat a lot, and uh, so they got to move around to find the food. And the drought stunts everything that's growing that they would normally eat. They're going to be moving way more. Yeah, and that I mean that makes sense. It's just like a guy like me that looks at stuff kind of oddly sometimes is you know we're in a drought and andy who is a farmer and my father-in-law who's a farmer might smack me for saying this but every damn night i drive by a bean field in our our county there's dozens of deer out in these bean fields and the bean fields look fine to me yeah it's dry outside but well they're green and those deer hammering the hell out of them how can a deer not succeed there well Another thing that kind of crept in my mind, into my mind, I guess, is maybe they're having to eat more to get what they need, which means their body's having to work harder to digest things. And then another thing I thought was water. Well, maybe they're not getting as much water as they got, because if we are in a dry situation, one property I hunt in particular has a dry creek running through it, and that's all. And that creek hasn't had water in it in months. So... I don't think deer have a problem finding water here, but I don't know that. Maybe maybe they won't walk that way to that, that pond over there because something's dangerous that they think's over there. But I have seen a lot of people on social media, and I'll be honest, it has perked my interest, that have been in, installing these little ponds. Um, some, some of them look like literally like the kiddie pool. They'll, they'll dig a hole and put the kiddie pool down in it or just a trough or just dig out, you know, the ground the size of this table or something and, and fill it up with some water. Um, mm-hmm. 
what are your thoughts on on you know kind of giving them like we give them supplemental feed giving them an easier water source does that do you think that helps a deer in a drought situation or will they find the water if they need it uh, I, it can't hurt i mean I, i've seen mixed reviews on it honestly and i could see where it could help if there's not a water source or if we are in a drought year like this where hey that's a you're just providing something that they need um I mean, the whole the whole idea is you're wanting to keep that deer on your property so that hopefully you can harvest that deer later on in the season. Uh, and one way you can do that, and this is something with a lot of the government cost share assistance, you can actually make wildlife watering holes um, and things like that. It it can't hurt, uh, and I've seen it to where that's that is the water source. That's where it's close to their bedding area. You just made the water source that much more available than them having to walk all the way down to the lake or walk down to that pond or walk down to that creek. If you put it right up there where their bedroom's at, it's kind of like that story I just told. That buck, he doesn't have to go anywhere. He yeah. has everything he needs. He has food, water, cover, space, everything that, that an animal needs to survive. And you just put it right there so he can be lazy. He doesn't have to go that far. Um, the only thing that that you have to be careful with in, in drought situations and, and small, making small ponds. Uh, if you're not doing the, the liners and things like that, is uh, creating that muddy habitat, that real shallow, because of hemorrhagic disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, hemorrhagic disease is in those drought areas, and what happens is that little fly, that little midge fly gets in there, and, and it survives in those shallow you know, muddy pools where other things can't because the temperatures get so high. But it just kind of increases the risk factor for, for hemorrhagic disease, and, and we don't want to do that. Uh, so that would be that my only thing to steer clear of is be careful in how you build your little watering hole. Make sure that it, you're not just opening the door to the hemorrhagic disease to come in uh, because of how you you built it uh you can take measures to build your pond differently so that that doesn't happen um and th- those little pond liners work just fine uh I, i've I seen some they, people seen, literally seen... just digging out the ground and putting in a, a pool like a little kid pool or a little bit larger version of that and i i mean i guess i can you can, see... you can do that you can do that where you're at i can't do a whole more than three inches here yeah you got to worry about rocks it's all rocks. We, we don't dig holes. That, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, if you can dig a hole, that, that works too. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and I actually thought about EHD in that situation. Wouldn't it suck like you're trying to give them water and then you give them all EHD? But because I'm starting to see where people are putting in water source or a, you know, a watering hole as a destination food plot. Almost like you would, right. I'm trying to kill a deer on this food plot. People are putting water holes in as this is my kill hole like like this is my kill water hole and it makes sense like if if you've got this three acre food plot and then you've got water on the end of it chances are decent like i've read i can't remember what it is you might know the number i read how many quarts of a, a day of water a deer drinks or needs not off the top of my head i know and i, I know it's high like they got to drink water yeah. it has to happen so if they're going to come into this this food plot or something the the I don't know if it's statistical chances, but the chances of that deer working its way to that water 
are probably pretty good because it needs to drink it. It's it's it has to have it. Um, but you know, I was just curious and, from and, a, a drought standpoint if that would be effective or you know, same thing with food. They got to have water. They'll travel to get it probably. And in Missouri, that, you don't have to travel far to find water most places. And especially like you said, if you're using a you know a salt lick or a mineral lick site uh, in the places where you can, uh, it, it it automatically it makes that deer thirsty. I mean, anything salty makes you thirsty. Uh, deer crave the salt, uh, and they crave the water. And if you make that available for them, even if it's a man-made structure with water in it, you just up your odds and increase the chance that you could intercept where that deer is going to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another thing I had written down here was, from a, a drought perspective, do you think it it can have a cumulative effect on a herd? So, like, you know, drought this year. Now, we're in two years of drought, dryness, but we got a drought, let's say, in 2023. Could that have an effect on 2024? I'm more thinking about, like, the does in this situation. Like, if... Are we having as many fawns hit the ground? Are they able to produce? Have is there ha, have there ever been studies that you know of, or how do you feel like it can affect it from one year to the next? Uh, it when you when you get into you know kind of shifting gears from antler growth, and we're just talking about you know survivability and and droughts having an effect on deer period. Uh, it absolutely has a bigger effect on your does and, and more importantly, your fawns. Because uh, fawn survival and fawn survival is hard enough as it is. Uh, but then you, you take away you take away the water, you take away the nutrition, you take away all that stuff that the doe needs to produce milk, uh, to produce higher nutrition for that fawn. He's probably going to end up throwing a single instead of twins like he normally would. Uh, so that she can give that fawn the best chance of survival. But then you also have to think about she has to take care of herself first. Mm-hmm. And if that means that she has to stop taking care of the fawn, then that's what that means. She, it's her survival comes first, uh, and then the fawn's survival comes next. The one thing that you can see, and, and I know there's been some studies done on it, uh, when fawns are born in, in drought times, uh, it can have an effect on, on skeletal, you know, development. Um, and if you think about a buck fawn that's born during a drought, he's, we had, we had an old, uh, article. I remember the title of it. I'll never forget it. You know, fawns are born with one hoof in the grave. Hmm. I mean, there's so many factors against them. Um, this is just another one. And maybe that buck, that buck fawn is not going to have the best start to life. So he may never get to be a really, really large buck because of how he started, uh, because of all the development that goes on in those first three years of life. It's, it's really tough. So if it was to be year after year after year throughout, um, it, it could compound it. Um, but not, not necessarily, Yeah. but, for fawns, I think it's it's already got them on the wrong side of the pendulum there for survival and 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 I would say just 
that buck may not ever be a 200 incher if he's born during you know bad drought years because his mama didn't have the nutrition uh, to be able to raise him and his twin uh, and maybe it just ended up being him and now he's already at a deficiency nutritionally wise because his mama's not getting what she needs to raise him with the milk and protein and everything that he needs and then it's going to make them smaller, things like that. Uh, all those factors lead to higher fawn mortality. Um, it also takes away the, and it goes back to that, plants can't grow without water. So you're taking away a cover pro- problem there too. So fawn doesn't have cover to hide in. It's more susceptible to predation. Uh, there's so many things that go on with plants not being able to grow uh going all the way back to not having the water to grow the plants that makes the mama not have enough uh, to be able to produce the right milk or nutritional milk so she might have one fawn instead of two and then that one fawn's at a disadvantage because it's not getting the higher nutrition value because the plants are there not there the quality's not there the quantity's not there and then once they if they do make it through that stage then the plants are still not there because it's still a growth, you know, when they're getting weaned. Uh, so they're still not getting the nutrition when they first start growing up. So they're smaller. They're going to have a harder time growing up, getting through the winter. If they make it through the winter, mm-hmm. they're never going to be. I mean, they're, everything's against them. All the odds are against them when they're, when they're starting out like that. I thought of that, that question because... I'm seeing it right now. I've never, I've never actually paid attention as much as I have to one fawn in a year that I am this year. So Micah and I share a hunting property and this is our first year there. And so we naturally put out some mineral and cameras and we have this doe with twins. And the first time I ever got a picture of this fawn, um, and this will be the, I guess the question on the end of this, because I'm wondering if that has to do with the drought, but um, it was a nighttime picture and he or she, it looked like she had like a, like a patch on her eye. Like her, the eye was a different color than the rest of the deer on an, in a nighttime photo. So like in a nighttime photo, so it was black and white, basically the, the fawn was totally white and then its eye was dark. I'm like, it looks like a dog with a spot on its eye, you know, like patch. And uh, I thought, okay, well the next day. I see it again and it's, it's a little bit far out and it, and it's the, there's something up with its, its eye, something's going on. And so every day I'm waiting for this perfect picture of this fawn that shows me that side of its face so I can get the HD photo on the cell cam. I can, I can request an HD photo and then I'll get, I'll know. Well, come to find out, I ended up posting to this picture on our Instagram or Facebook and I said, what do y'all think this is? And every single person is like, it's full of ticks. That entire eye is covered in ticks. And then I start looking at it, and yeah, that that poor thing has ticks just surrounding everything. And mama's got ticks all over the backs of her ears. Then you start looking, and you're like, yep, mama's mama's ears are covered, which, you know, not that uncommon. The the brother or sister or the twin fawn has some 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 ticks. Can a drought cause ticks to be worse? Or, I mean, we know ticks suck, obviously, but I've never seen a fawn that bad where I'm wondering if he or she's going to even make it because I don't, I mean, that's got to be miserable with her eye like that 
but can a drought affect the tick uh, population too, where they're going to just explode on us? Yeah, I mean, they've done some studies uh, with ticks and prescribed fire and, you know, knocking them back and things like that. I think it's going to be right along those same lines if you think about it. But the years after the prescribed fire can almost be worse if you don't do something about it. Uh, so you're going to have an explosion of ticks. Uh, they don't have the vegetation to hang out on. Uh, what are they going to hang out on? whatever's there and it's those deer or any of those critters that are walking around they're they're just looking for a host uh, because i mean when when do you get ticks when you're walking through vegetation and uh, if there's not that much vegetation all the ticks are on what little vegetation's there and they're going to get on you uh, that's the, the worst seed ticks i think i've ever gotten was when i was in a real dry year and walked through what little vegetation was there and my pants were just covered. Yep. And uh, I think I just threw those pants away and didn't even mess with it. <laughs> it wasn't worth messing with. But absolutely, on the on the answer to that question, I, I think I think that a drought can actually make it worse on the animals because yeah, it jump on them quicker. I've never followed a, a fawn so closely. I mean, every day I check our pictures. Uh, I'm looking for it, just to. You know, are you are you still good? And right now, he or she looks fine. I mean, I don't know. She looks about the same size as the other one. Everything looks okay. Um, but, you know, and it might not be affecting the deer whatsoever, but it looks horrid, you know. And so I'm just like, yeah. I even, me and Micah were talking about, is there anything we could go do? Like, could we could we put some something out with the mineral that would help, you know, get them ticks off of it? Or something they could rub on, like cows have those damn you know, fly things they rub on their backs on and stuff. And I'm like, man, is there something we could do for that fawn to, or for all of them just to get those ticks back? But, you know, but, my, in, early in my career, I actually raised deer in, in a uh, kind of a high fence area. And uh, it wasn't for hunting or anything, but it was just for, for viewing. Uh, but we had some fawns and, and we had a real pretty bad drought year. And, uh, I went in there. That was what I was talking about. I I got the worst seed ticks I've ever got. I had a doe that uh, abandoned one of her fawns because she couldn't take care of both of them. Uh, so I had to bottle raise one of them while she tried to take care of the other one. Uh, and I had the worst tick problems on on those deer inside that enclosure that I've ever seen. And uh, not I haven't even seen it that bad even you know out in the wild. Uh, but in this case. I tried to figure out how to do the same thing, just just exactly like you said. How am, how am I going to get rid of these ticks? And I tried to set up a cattle rub, and those deer didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. And so I had to funnel them down into uh, like a three-foot-wide gate. I had to put fencing over the top of it so they couldn't just jump over it. And I literally had to force them to go through this tiny spot where they might accidentally touch the the rub that had the, I think it was like permethrin or something on it. Yeah. And, uh, they accidentally had to touch it. And that's the only way that I got those ticks to, to stop getting on the deer. But, uh, out in the wild, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know if it's possible. Ever, I don't know if you'd ever get them to go. You can't funnel them like I could in that. that enclosure I, wonder, I wonder if I could go quote unquote hunting one night with a bottle of permethrin, just waiting for them to come to the mineral. And then as soon as they're down, just, 
<laughs> uh, that's about uh, the only way I can think it work. <laughs> I mean, you you could. I've seen some people that have, have had some success doing that. Uh, if you're using a feeder or uh, at a mineral site, they can put stuff up there to where the you know in order for the deer to go in and get a bite to eat out of the, the feeder or something that it, it touches them uh, with the permethrin or whatever, and yeah. like a cattle rub. I've seen that work, but, you know, here in Missouri with the laws that we have uh, in most of the state, you know, being under CWD regulations, it's not even really an option. Right. Uh, and you can't really do anything. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see how this fawn does. You know, like I said, I, even if, you know, listeners, you can, ha- you know, certainly send in your ideas. I'm sure someone's talking to the, the speaker right now going, hey, this is what I did and it worked. Hey, I'm happy to hear it. But, man, it's just, uh, you know, sometimes you got to let nature do what nature's going to do. But, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic for this time of year just because we're definitely being hit by it. I know other areas of Missouri, I think near like Sedalia, I was hearing from somebody near Sedalia mm-hmm. it's even worse than than we yep. were I know they got rain too we've actually been uh we're recording with uh Shane on August 4th this might not come out for a little while but the past few days have been wet here like it's actually rained but um the damage has already been done right like the the drought quote-unquote has already yeah. affected you know, I know my father-in-law is already talking about the corn not being, you know, very good because yep. uh, it's already turning this color. And if it's not dark green still, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, so yep. that's already been done. But it's just a really interesting topic because, you know, hunters like me have sometimes have specific goals. And one of my specific goals is to get a nice buck this year. Well, you think about that. You're like if it's dry is his antlers going to be good. I read another article that says, even if their antlers grow, sometimes the density of the bone is not as good. And so they're more susceptible to break when they're fighting with other bucks. So all these things, you know, running through my mind. I've done that a couple of times where it's, you know, the buck that I was after. And, uh, I finally, you know, get him to where I I think I can cross paths with him and pattern him, so to speak, uh, you know, during that time, just to get him to come up there and he's broken three or four times off and you're like, well, now what? Yeah. I mean, do you still, do you still harvest him even without all the tines? Most hunters probably not, but yeah, absolutely can affect that bone density and cause more breakage, uh, breaking those tines off. Cause that happens, you know, whenever the antler growth season and we've had a really dry July, which is, one of the biggest months of antler growth and it's not going to make that, that antler bone density as, as heavy and uh, it's going to lead to more breakage for sure. Yeah. So bucks, if you're listening, don't fight. Get it. I know they're not going to listen. I'm just kidding. Nobody understood the joke. Um, Yeah. But that's kind of the, you know, the topic today I've kind of thought of all the questions I was thinking uh, of asking. We pretty much went through, um, what I mean, is there anything else that we haven't touched on? Do you think would be important about droughts and, and deer uh, success? I mean, the, the other part, the other part there is, and we didn't we didn't touch on it too much. I touched on a little bit about the 
the quality and the quantity of the forage and it's not being there. Uh, both you're losing them both with in a drought because stuff's just not growing. So not only are you not getting the quantity, but you're not getting the quality and going off of that side of, of the, the quantity part. When I said earlier that, that deer eat a ton of food or a ton of forage per year for each deer, that just makes it even more of a big deal to make sure that you're meeting your harvest goals as far as how many antlerless deer are you taking? Because in a lot of places, and that's what the DMAP program is all about, is making sure you have the right uh, population of deer that the habitat that can support or what we call the carrying capacity. Um, and in a drought, when you're taking away all of that forage, that quantity of forage, that's less mouths to feed. Well, that means you're going to probably going to have to take out more deer uh, to keep your population in check because they're eating so much. Uh, if you already got an overpopulation problem, well, now they don't have the food that they need. And it's just less food for more mouths is not a good combination. So it's, it's something to keep in mind for this coming season uh, to make sure you're meeting your, your harvest goals. And if you are part of a DMAP program or something like that, or if you're in a co-op that has management goals uh, as far as how many you know antlerless deer you need to take, um, you might want to consider bumping that up a little bit this year because of because of the drought, because there's just not the quality or, or quantity of forage that they need, and just too many mouths to feed. So maybe you need to put those deer in the freezer instead of letting them go out there and eat what food's left. They still taste good. Um, okay. Well, Shane, uh, why don't, before we hop off, why don't you tell everybody how they can, um, you know, get involved with the National Deer Association, some of the stuff you guys got coming up, um, you know, anything you want to kind of, uh, talk about there? Yeah. I mean, I always point people to our website, deerassociation.com. Um, and we've got so much information on there. It's, it's crazy. Uh, anything deer related you could think of whether it's you know food plots or hunting techniques uh, everything in between recipes for venison um, all, all kinds of stuff on there highly recommend it uh, we also uh, i kind of talked earlier about our field to fork program if you're interested in uh, becoming a mentor for one of those or maybe you want to get involved and be a first-time hunter uh, and maybe hop in on one of our field to fork events uh, you can get online and, and on our association.com and check that out um you can get in touch with me um i'd be happy to help you with any of your uh your cooperative stuff uh help you form a new co-op uh, maybe help with a co-op you've already got going uh, whether it's in missouri or not but uh myself and we actually have a uh, northern missouri counterpart uh cole gander uh, who covers the northern half of the state i cover the southern half of the state uh but we we help each other out uh, with any of the events and getting co-ops going but uh, anything you can do uh, check out deerassociation.com has all that information uh, you can get our email and everything on there as well um, course, my name's spelled funny so it looks like Cheyenne, but it's actually saying c-a-c-y-n-e at deerassociation.com and uh, if you got any questions feel free to give me a call text email uh, whatever you got to do i'd be happy to talk with you about deer or anything deer related all right well our missouri's very own shane motzenbacher say that right again 
thanks you for coming it. on and talking about drought uh, in Missouri. Uh, appreciate your time today, man. Yep, enjoyed it. All right, see ya.